Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. What a weekend of Premier League football. Ladles of drama and late goals everywhere you looked and we'll be discussing it all. Plus, as this enormous story involving the Spanish Football Federation president, Luis Rubiales, continues to make waves around the world, we'll be asking, is football failing women? No Tom Clark today, so you've got me, Gregor Robertson, alongside Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd, and our North East football correspondent, Martin Hardy. Martin, ironically, given all the late drama yesterday, a very early start from you for you to, <laughs> on a tranquil bank holiday, to come all the way from London. Great to have you here. Come all the way to London. From Newcastle, Indeed. yeah, yeah, no, no, I, it was them trying to get to sleep last night ahead of an early train, and everything from the game just kept spinning. So much happened, the match was so breathless. Trent should have been sent off, Virgil van Dijk was sent off. Um, Jurgen Klopp man marked Jason Tindall out of the game every time he moved off the dugout. <laughs> um, there was rows, finger shushing, um, and an a sense of frustration on the Newcastle bench that they couldn't get the second goal, which in fairness they did deserve, you know, 23 shots, I think it was eight on target. But the more that that went on, Liverpool came back in the game and just, you know, awful phrase, game management, they just stayed in it. And then you've got this remarkable finish when Nunes comes on. Um, Klopp admitted later that he was annoyed at being substitute. Jurgen Klopp says he used some of that anger to score the two late goals and then by the finish, also must mention the atmosphere was ferocious and at the end, Jurgen Klopp says that's the most dramatic game I've been involved in in over a thousand matches and he thought, blame, yeah. So yes, absolutely breathless. So, you even put it up there with the, the great comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League. He said it was better than that. Yeah. He said that this was more difficult because he said that game was at home. I mean, we're three games into the season. Uh, you know, it's not a Champions League kind of <laughs> knockout game. But... You know, could this be a kind of a game that catapults Liverpool forward this season? Absolutely. For outsiders, being told that that match is more has more felt more significant than the four three over Barcelona, it that sounds peculiar. But actually, it the in Europe, Liverpool have a sense that all things are possible and all things are possible at Anfield. And I didn't feel any sense of stress for that match knowing we were 3-0 down from the first leg I felt it was entirely possible because of how well we'd, we'd actually played in defeat there's something different about this set of circumstances which is on the back of a disappointing season where Liverpool had not qualified for the Champions League a slightly stuttering start to this campaign not abysmal but certainly not um, something that would take your breath away you're going to St James's which has one of the best atmospheres in the country and you know they tore into Aston Villa and got lots of plaudits for that everything seems to go against Liverpool they're, they're sending off and you feel oh they, they weren't playing well to start with they can't they can't do with it with 10 men and yet for them to find the resilience and the inspiration to to pull it off against the odds 
away from Anfield, that that it was su- much more surprising than some of the European exploits Liverpool have had. So although I know it sounds like hyperbole, I, I completely get it. It was actually quite astonishing. And if they can't use that, the feeling of that, to really make this a season that they actually do have an assault on the title, I'd be very surprised. Tony, let's get into some of the big talking points. First, Trent, should he have been sent off? And then secondly, Van Dijk, should he have seen red? Well, it's probably a yes and no on Trent because, first of all, the first tackle, which, you know, obviously was a foul and that made Trent get angry and so he throws the ball and, yes, by the rules, you can get yellow carded for that. But I think ignoring the first challenge was a problem. Um, The second incident, yeah, sending off. Without a doubt, I don't disagree. I do have a bit of an issue with watching Joe Linton kick or make three pretty rash challenges do the, during the game, uh, and also Gramirez did it uh, on and, and never get punished. Uh, and then it's all on all on the what happened with Trent. Um, I thought the, I have a real issue with football where it's going with as we've touched many times, Gregor, on slight touches of somebody, you know, minimum contact. And I thought Van Dyke is that really ascending off for an instance West yes he clipped him I get that then he takes the ball uh, I thought it was a foul could you deem it yellow card and and I know their referees will come after and go well if it's a, he's the final man it's a chance of scoring I understand all of that it just feels that there's such big advantages even though Liverpool won the game it's like the penalty if you give soft penalties and coin flipping on penalties, there's such big advantages from 12 yards to score on a one-on-one and going to 11 men against 10. N- normal circumstances, most teams will get over the line. Newcastle didn't yesterday. And I thought they did play well, uh, Newcastle. They were a good side. We all know that. Um, but I, I don't want the game, or even though some will say to me, well, the game is based on decisions. That you know, It's always the outcome of a game is made on decisions. But if we make it the sole reason which is decisions are becoming so regular and so often that ultimately, if you get the most decisions, you're going to win way more games. I'm baffled by I'm baffled by the whole discussion on Trent. Actually, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at you, Tony, because it was a you're right. There was a awful push by Gordon on. It's a foul on Trent, and but his response to that, I didn't think it was either petulant or holding up play he was he was lying on the floor and he just puts the ball back into play i don't i don't i don't see i do not see why that's cooking some liverpool glasses oh, in jamie carrigan half time saying we can't call it the obvious goal scoring opportunity also, because it hasn't happened it's like yes but it, that, that's because of the foul and it's like we yeah. are splitting hairs here the ball was thrown back look it it was I, not thrown back. I, 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 in always, anger. I always get annoyed that the, the, the person no, it that doesn't anger. I always get, I always get annoyed that, that the retaliator is the person that gets punished. I understand what he's saying. However, he did. We are trying to make, guess. I guess make a referee's life at whatever level of football a little bit easier. Just don't be petulant. Don't be t- wasting time. Don't show aggression towards the officials. He's he's had a little bit of a moment where he spat his dummy out and he's got booked for it. And maybe it's the fact that. What was it, a minute later? So it's the seventh minute when he makes the next foul on Gordon. Might be in the referee's head to think this is awfully early to send off an England right back. Why do we think that is a yellow card? Which it was a foul, his his slight push on Gordon. Yes, the, you mean yeah, after he's had his yellow? 
Yeah. When he, no, when no, he, when no. Gordon goes past him, I'm talking about the, the, yes. both incidents happen within seven minutes. Yes. That's the only thing I can think of why he stays on. Neither, so neither were a booking. I don't know why people are saying he's lucky to be on the pitch. Both were both, both, were, both of you're booked. Both of them no, you're booked were, if they, they happen were, in isolation. That, that was not a booking. He barely he barely touched Gordon. Oh, this, I, can it I was just, a free kick. Yeah. But it wasn't a booking. This is is this really where we are on the, how we judge our sport? And uh, you you two are saying, yes, it was a booking, and we're saying, we don't think it should have been a booking. Or Do you see what I mean? It's like Which one, so, the first one or the second well, one? Well, I don't get how the push isn't deemed the first problem. Yeah, but I, I agree with that. I mean, but both it's so obvious. Booking. And, you know, I get it, he falls back, and did he literally... You know, when sometimes players kick it away and it's gone sort of 20 yards away, I sort of think, OK, that's petulance, that's a yellow yeah. card. It wasn't quite like that. So I think it's a bit of a murky area. But if we're having two against two, is that how football's going to be? That basically decisions are just... <laughs> That's how football you, is you view been. it, now we view it. And there's... You know, you're talking about ultimate punishments for a team, for a side, who play, who's playing a game. So are we going to just guess on... You know, I play guess who with my boy. All right, and he says glasses, no, no glasses, black hair, no. And it's a bit of a... Well, yeah, guess, uh, guess what in football, is it? Well, look, also, we're, we're kind of... You know, there was some great drama and action involved in this game too. So maybe we should move on from. Yeah, that but no, no, but I, I, I get what you're saying because the game became less for the red card. Yeah, it then became a more tactical game in which Liverpool would have to stay in it to, to have a chance for 20 minutes to go. Whereas before that, it had been the 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 pace was just ferocious and this the stadium was so loud. Everybody was bought in this game. This is two really good teams going for each other, and the game changes. But the referee can't say, "I want this to be a good game of football," so I'll. Overlook the fact that Virgil van Dijk has just clipped the Newcastle forward, who was in an obvious goal scoring opportunity. The referee has to say, that's a red card. There's another issue about Virgil van Dijk to say, is that this is this the follow on from his injury? Is he not quite the same player that he was two or three years ago? That his timing at that level yeah. is what a fraction of a second off because he's very close to getting the ball completely, but he clips the centre forward first. I would say perhaps three years ago he cleans that up no problem would and you, he doesn't get sent off would you but think, I, think that, uh, I mean Al, Al's done a refereeing is there it's not a part of where a referee has to understand the feel of a game without going yes that's a I have to do this on this but you may, but, you may you, therefore you may see the referee did that for the potentially the second yellow card for Trent the game uh, was so quick and yeah it's just, it's still a tug that stops Gordon in full flight, and Gordon by this it's stage a in touch, the game, not a touch. touch. Well, whatever it is, it stops. Right, it, it stops right, right, right. We're moving on from referees <laughs> now, <laughs> because as you see, Newcastle were the better team when it was living. And v. Eddie Howe bemoaned that afterwards. He said that sending yeah. off hurt us. So you know, Newcastle going to be. You saw Eddie Howe; he was crestfallen after this. This was, it was, it felt like a a chance to kind of, I don't know, plant the plant a flag in the in the turf and say we are a member of the. I like Graham Soonis. No, it. it, it hmm. It did, and he was really crestfallen at the end of the game. Newcastle kind of do that lap of honour, win, lose, or draw. Generally, it's been a win. And the stadium, suddenly from being very full of noisy, was more or less empty apart from the celebrating Liverpool fans. And he was stood there in the centre circle for about a minute on his own, looking into space to think, what on earth just happened here? And he's aware, as anybody else, he's a bright bloke. That's 11 defeats now to Klopp and five defeats to Liverpool on the, on the trot since he's been the Newcastle manager. This is a big game. He needs to win big games. Newcastle got beat off Manchester City and didn't play very well the week before. They played really well yesterday and on another day may have won that match. Uh, two, you know, brilliant save from Alisson from Miguel Almiron. That goes in. It's 2-0. It's 10 men at half-time. Newcastle fancy the chances. 
these are big games that he needs to start winning. So he's aware of, it, of what the implications are. And that's a massive missed opportunity yesterday. I said, you know, is that this as low as you felt as Newcastle manager? Bear in mind, Newcastle lost in the 98th minute at Anfield last season when the benches were fighting each other. And he said, yeah, it's right up there with them. So it's, it's a big moment for him. It's a big opportunity for him to create some momentum. Newcastle now go to Brighton on Saturday trying not to lose three games on the trot. I'm interested because you were there. So on, I was watching on TV and it might be different. But it seemed to me that Howe and the players were trying to take the emotion out of the game when they had the man advantage. As though they felt we don't we don't want to get sucked into a passion play here. We we have got the man advantage. We can be sent. We can play sensible football, and it didn't feel like if almost on the telly it felt like the crowd had bought into that as well, and that the hysteria level dropped, and there was a sense of let's just be sensible and we'll win one or two nil. It was as though they their no, trump he, he, card he, he wasn't the there. Goal. He wanted the second goal, and he admitted that and. He has faced criticism for the substitutions. When a player is playing as well as Anthony Gordon was, the temptation would be to leave him on. And he, he said afterwards, look, you." he watches the matches on the night time when he goes home. And he said, "You are, there's loads of things you would do differently. And he was pushed on that one. Would you leave Gordon on? And he hasn't had much criticism from Newcastle fans, but there has been criticism last night. And this morning, a player's doing that well. And even at the start of the second half, three times he goes past Trent again, he should probably left him on. He said, I wanted that second goal. And Almiron hits the post. Almiron has the shot saved. There's 23 shots. I I think Liverpool played it that well. Club, club substitutions were that well. That he took a bit of the heat out of the game because that's the only way that he could stay in it. If It, it was like a bas- basketball game at the start. If that stays at 11 te- v 10, mm-hmm. Liverpool can't keep up. And he said, Joel might have came off because he was exhausted. His players were tired. So for him, it was kind of just stay in this. Whereas... How was slightly critical of his players. He said we were looking for too much control at one 0 He said I wanted the second goal. It's whether or not his substitutes substitutions were negatively impacting upon his team, whereas Klopp's were obviously very positive. Klopp's changed the game, and we have to talk about Darwin Nunes. Mm. I mean, this could be a kind of a game changer for his career as well, Liverpool, Tony. Yeah, and look, Eddie, yeah, we'll look at him and think, wow. He's had. I've watched this lad. He's, he would have seen him enough, nearly as much as Klopp, his manager, and gone. He's not clinical enough. And any Liverpool fan would say, you know, that is the case. He's he's just not taken because he had a lot of chances last year. He had a, did a chance before he scored as yeah, well, and he yeah. miscontrolled it. I mean, on any given day, that is up there with the best two finishes I've ever seen. First one because he's been struggling. He's been put on the bench. He gets called upon with ten men. And gets a little bit fortunate because it bounces off a of Botman. But as soon as it comes to him, he knows he needs to take a sh- touch before he shoots. You know, so he knows that's he, the way he has to score. And he's only put in one place to beat Pope there. Pope's getting it in 90% of the, or 99% of the positions with his goal. He knows that Pope's position perfectly for that effort. And, you know, he knows where he's trying to do. And the second finish was consequence of how finished he finished he finished the first one because that is a striker in confidence you know I've always said believe I've been lucky I've played with some great strikers in my career and most of us you know we always go down the goalkeeper union don't we our goalkeepers are completely bonkers and blah blah forwards are there's a lot of forwards I played with who are bonkers right who solely think about goals sometimes don't even care about the, how the team get on uh, but we'll just think goals. Now, for the team, that's great because goal scorers ultimately can change games. Yesterday was a game that was won by Liverpool and fair play to them. 
for the way the manager has done it. But it's it's basically been won by two amazing finishes. What 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 you mentioned there was interesting when you talk about the confidence a player gets. We do forget players are human beings sometimes. Yeah. So Newcastle play Aston Villa. Harvey Barnes and Callum Wilson come on. Harvey Barnes charges down the left not long after coming on. Crosses Callum Wilson scores. Life's great. Couple minutes later, Harvey Barnes goes down the left. Crosses and Callum Wilson misses. So a couple of minutes later, Harvey Barnes goes down the left again. And this time it's like, well, you missed the last one. So I can do this on my own. Shoots and scores. Everything's great. Yeah. He goes through yesterday after coming on his sub and he's muddled and he doesn't, he's like, Wilson's there in the, in the ready to potentially score the second goal and Barnes takes a little bit too long with the cross and then he thinks, I don't know if I can shoot and then he comes back on his right and has this shot that's blocked and you're thinking, all oh, that's because of what's happened in the last game yeah. and you've, you've, you've made the bad decision. You make the right mm. decision there, Callum Wilson scores, we're sitting here going, Newcastle might mm. be a team to win the title and it sp- spins on those little moments. Yeah, Martin, finally, you, you wrote about this before the game that there's a bit of a rivalry developing between these two teams now and it kind of it's mouthwatering for for the future as well you know they're obviously competing for for the Champions League and possibly more um and there was more tension and we saw Jason Tindall giving Klopp the the shush uh well it's interesting I I think Manchester City are way miles above everybody else I think they're just too good watched them against Newcastle last week and Newcastle couldn't lay a glove on them and Tactically, I think Pep is streets ahead of all of them. So that means you've got the rest. They're all fighting against each other. It's Arsenal, Liverpool, Newcastle, Man United, Mebbies, although they're having one of their um, wobbles at the minute. So the, the, And for Newcastle to progress and for Eddie Howard to progress, he has to move beyond Liverpool. And Liverpool, and the, within that, you get these really nasty rivalries. And the Tindall one and Klopp one's really interesting to watch. And you're quite fortunate the Newcastle press box is in a great position. You really need a dugout. And you could see that Klopp's watching the game and he's watching the ref, but he's also watching Jason Tindall for the entire game to make sure that he doesn't stand next to Eddie Howe because that breaks the rules on two officials being in the technical area together. And you're thinking, this, this, this incredible bloke who's won the European Cup and Champions League is, is still at this level of, I'm watching you, I'm watching you. And as, as soon as the appeal was made against uh, Trent for his second yellow and Tindall came in to stand beside Howe, Klopp's shouting at the ref to make sure he doesn't send off, but then he's shouting at Tyndall to sit down, sit down, sit down, screaming at him, and Tyndall's putting his finger to his mouth. And these are supposed to be grown blokes at the top of the profession. <laughs> that's that's what the pressure's done. And so when we're arguing about referees making decisions, the game makes us all go slightly mad at times. And yeah. you're watching this thing, good grief, Klopp, you've got you've done so much, but Tyndall's wound him up. And at the end of the game, there was a picture, but I don't know when it was from, of Klopp doing the shush back with his fingers to his mouth so you should always wait before I think you claim the victory on these ones Isn't it funny a rivalry that one team's not beating them for God knows when so what's the rivalry? <laughs> they are fighting for the same space <laughs> oh, yeah, the fact that, yeah the fact that I think there was a start where you know they finished four points clear of them last season the season before mm. it was there was like a 40 point gap or something so you turn the, about, the, in terms of how Newcastle have caught yeah, the them development yeah, they've caught them up very quickly agree. very very quickly but that's what they need to achieve a rivalry that means beating Liverpool mm. and that's something that's not happened and it was very close yesterday give Newcastle the credit for that yeah it was a modern classic I think um, and there was another humdinger at Old Trafford uh, Manchester United 3 Nottingham Forest 2 more more late goals another comeback uh, Forrest went 2-0 up inside the opening four minutes Eriksen pulled one back Casemiro equalised Joe Worrell was sent off for Nottingham Forest and then Marcus, Ras- Marcus Rashford won a penalty which Forrest were not very happy about and Bruno scored the winner from the spot another another bonkers game Tony yeah 
Um, I was at Brentford and watching the game, and like probably many people over the country, after five minutes, and looked round and said, "It's two 0 to Forest already." <laughs> like, and everyone really, and because there's so many Man United supporters around in the country, and you normally generally get a United fan with you or around you, and he went and he's going, "No, no, already we're useless." You know, like, I'm laughing, like thinking, you know how this sport that I've loved for many years, the way that people react to it, was was I surprised? Well, of course, yes, of 2-0. Of was I surprised when I look back at the goals that they conceded? No, I'm not. That's that's their issue that they've shown already in this season, that teams can break on them really quickly and they get caught literally treading water, United. So they're going to have to overcome that. But, the, you know, the first goal was typical of, you know, breaking. Marcus Rashford en- en- ended up alongside of one year. Oh, I'll say alongside. He's probably got six or seven yards to catch up because he's quick enough to catch most players. But it was um, a strange one. I I think, I, you know, if you're, I've been part of games like that where you've got away with one. United have got away with two at home. You know, so they've played two home games. Wolves, they got away with it. And they've got away with it against Forest at the weekend. Um, so Ten Hag knows that. You play an elite team, one of the top six in or top four teams, they're going to punish you. And I think he's very fully aware of that is a bigger problem that he has to overcome at United. Isn't it interesting, though, that, OK, they've won their two opening home games, but neither club, neither Wolves nor Forest, were the least bit intimidated by being at Old Trafford at mm. all. They both, both of them played expansive, fast-paced football with a sense of freedom and enjoyment. And so anyone neutral would have thought, oh, I want, I want them, to, you know, I want Wolves and Forest to win because they're playing the football I want to see, and they're playing it at Old Trafford. There is nothing about United that scares anybody anymore. And Wolves have had a manager for a week, and we were a club in chaos and had no money, <laughs> and they go to Old Trafford and put money there on the back foot. It's yeah. amazing. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's a tin hat job. Mm. You know, in my day, you went to Old Trafford, you you didn't only have to suffer how good they were technically, but they were really good at battling. They could stand up, match, and they didn't give you an inch. And I, I look. Clubs do so much work on looking at their opposition. You know, they dissect everything they do. And that's an example of two clubs, like Alison's just mentioned, who have gone, do you know what, we can hurt them. And we will. And that's been proven the case. You can hurt United. Sorry, there's a a slight tactical element. Newcastle played yesterday in the left. Sean Longstaff as the the deepest defender for a corner, and he's an attacking midfielder. And Liverpool broke. The first goal for Nottingham Forest, the deepest defender was Marcus Rashford. So Rashford mm. chases him down and gets within two yards of him and then goes, I've got no idea what I do next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Isaiah just from the score, the goal, he's like, I don't know what I do. I, I got in the penalty area, I caught him yeah. up, and then I was like, I don't know what I do. But on Rashford, Rashford assists or kind of plays an important part in two of the goals, then gets a penalty. And for Rashford, now, and the Maniac keeps spending money, money, money. Rashford get, is getting into that list of Kane and Shearer where they are helping the club out so many, many times when the club is making bad decisions with recruitment. You're coming back to the same player to, to try and to get them out of a difficult situation. Um, I still would like to see Marcus Rashford have kind of conquered that position as working as a central striker, but he, for whatever reason, he doesn't. He seems to work better from the left. Um, he has everything to be that modern day centre forward who, who is quick, strong, can work, but that doesn't seem to happen for him. But he's just such a vital player for that team who are struggling, um, have probably had another bad, have had a bad summer, and. If, as you said there, Tony and Alison, if, if Wolves and Nottingham Forest are going to Old Trafford thinking we can win, then Liverpool, Newcastle, and everybody else are thinking, yeah, we fancy this. Right, that, but, but that's it. really interesting what you said about why Rashford can't sort of 
decide in his head, I can be a central striker. What I mean, you're a striker, Tony. Why Why would someone who's so good at goal scoring not want to be the central striker? Um, I've, I've always... Look, I've looked at his numbers over the last seven years, Rashford, and I've always felt you, you have to really go to an isolated season, apart from his debut time uh, when he first got in the team at Old Trafford, where he looked stunning in, and he played off that left. His numbers were only really good last year. Now, I'm not sure that you can convince everybody that you can do this again. I was so looking forward to seeing Rashford this year, and I know he hasn't scored and he's got a long way to go. If, can he sort of replicate or even get more goals than last season at Old Trafford? I've never been convinced because I don't think he's been clinical enough. You have to have a certain standard at, at Manchester United of being a finisher, and you only have to look at the centre-forwards they've had, you know, from... Dwight York to Van Nistelrooy to Berbatov or many others. You can list his endless. But you have to have a certain standard. I think he's a hell of a player and I totally agree with Martin. He can change games. But it's not really... He doesn't seem to change games being the centre forward. I remember watching him get uh, two goals at PSG one night uh, in the Champions League. And I, and I thought... And, it, and he hadn't been playing well at that time. And you come away and you think, if you was watching him for the first time, you'd be raving about Rashford. You would. You'd be raving about him. He's got everything. Pace, power, you shoot in, he hit one from distance. And and I think he still has to, if you're going to be a Man United regular centre forward, you have to be a numbers man week in, week out. I mean, look, in the paper today it says, you know, United need Hoyland. You know, they do. And it'll be interesting to see. I think it's hard with Anthony. If I'm a centre forward and I've got Anthony on one side of me, I think that makes the job for Marcus Rashford even harder because I haven't got a clue what he's doing. Yeah. As you say, Paul Hurst's written about that today in the in the game, and he's also referenced Anthony Martial, uh, yeah. Martial, which making his 300th appearance kind of was gobsmacking to me. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's he like Lind the ball. Lindelof's in his seventh or eighth season. Touched, you're like this might. And be every season, like, it feels like you know he needs to move on, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. He's made 300 appearances for Manchester United, and the, the, he touched the ball 20 times. And he was dragged after an hour or so. They had the Premier League years on the other day, and I caught it was 08, 09. And Man United had Ronaldo, Rooney, yeah, Berbatov and Tevez. Yeah. And yeah. them four are just so far ahead of what they have at the minute. Yeah. There's a Should lot also, of pressure on Hoyland, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Should also reference that thousands of Manchester United fans stayed in their seats for an hour after the final whistle to protest against the Glazer family, imploring them to sell the club. We've kind of already touched on it, but it does feel like no matter what Eric Ten Hag does, until there's some sort of resolution to that, the Manchester United are just stuck in this cycle of, you know, feeling like they're progressing and then the tumult kind of getting hold of them again and, and it feels like they can't escape that. But is that is that an excuse? He's had a lot of backing, Ten Hag. He's, he's been allowed to impose his personality the obvious example being getting rid of Ronaldo. He's he's being given that sense of you you are the heir to Ferguson, you have what you need, you do what you want to do. But I, I, do I think, think it's, it's a slight early, excuse he might be, to he say might not be the it's right an man, ownership But it's still thing. very early. He might not be the right man long term, but what we're talking, 12 months, he's just been able to sign Johnny Evans. And I'm not saying he is the right man. I'm just saying recruitment-wise and everything else about that club is so far behind Man City. Man City mm. will probably spend 180 million quid this summer on an international centre-half, two international midfielders, and Man United getting Johnny Evans and a kid up front. So I'm not I'm not sure if well, Ten they... Hag is the right man because they're awful away from home and getting to top 10. Um, but it just, it, as long as there's that chaotic feel of a football club, it 
it's very rare that they're, they're mm. successful. Anana, the keeper's come in, which would have been the mm. manager's choice. And Martinez came in, you know, again, that would have been Ten Hag uh, having a big involvement in that. And Anthony. And, and Anthony. That's not and Casemiro. That's not necessarily a good thing. No. His, his fingerprints are all over everything that's been yeah. positive about the club. It just still feels like everything's still around them, whether you know whether it's on-field or off-field off issues. Mm. It feels like they're still stuck in this cycle, and he's finding it very hard to shake free. That's part of why the... The, well, what the, do you think? That's okay. part of why the kind of mystique about Old Trafford has been eroded as well, I think. Yeah. Imagine if Forrest win, okay? I know it's a hypothetical question, but imagine what would be the papers be all about this morning in the manner they played mm. and if they'd have lost that game. It would have been serious stuff, uh, I would have said, this week, all about... Every, there would have been loads of articles about Ten Hag and what's happened, who he's bought, and how mm. it hasn't quite worked out. You know, They were that close to that sort of reporting on Monday morning. I mean, we should give Forrest some credit. They were yeah. excellent, and Taiwo Taiwo Awanye's scored in his seventh seventh mm. game in a row. He's been transformed. I remember in the start of last season, I think he scored two in his first ten, and we were thinking this is not the guy to to score the goals from Nottingham Forest. Being to be polite about it, but he's been transformed. Now he's got Jamie Vardy's record in his sights. Indeed, he? if he's yeah. going to just keep on going. I mean, that that's a bit outliery, isn't it? That Forest are a team that you think their priority is not to get relegated and yet they are capable consistently of producing thrilling football but and they not have a win pace. on the road but they can't they can't see it out they can't no. see it out no. it is it is interesting they they probably i don't know score too soon perhaps <laughs> there, there were reports after this as well that nottingham forest were going to make an official complaint about some of the refereeing decisions in this game which, you know, you'd raise your eyebrow about. Well, okay, but they're, they're, they're we'll have... do the coin flip, uh, the, the Rashford on the penalty. <laughs> pen or no pen? Just about. Just about. Just about I, yeah. I'm, only because I don't like penalties being given for very minor things, I would have gone probably not. Probably not. So I was going to say something else <laughs> Sorry. about that point. Now, <laughs> Newcastle went to the Premier League last year after three or four decisions they felt were against them and they were given loads of assurances that everything would be fine once Howard Webb came in. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the, the, like, I don't want to labour on this, but there's already been nine red cards this season. Yeah, there were 31 the whole of last season. Do we think that the kind of the new directives, particularly with regard to dissent and time-wasting, are heaping even more pressure on referees now who are already kind of dealing with VAR? I got sent off nine times in my career. In the modern game, I get sent off 30. <laughs> right? So don't in be surprised season. if everybody's numbers. <laughs> I wouldn't have classified myself as a fug on the football pitch. I could, no, I either think, either Gary Lineker could get season. two sending offs and 50 red, yellow cards in the modern game. He had one in his career, didn't he? One yellow. You just The game is going. It's being watered down and it feels like sanitised in every way that you don't have to do much. I, I, I've had this discussion, I said off air to Martin and an hour, but I, I, why does football, why is football so popular? Because it's controversial. It's a game that a lot of people feel like it reflects the life, what life's about in some ways. And I've always felt, well, there's a reason why it's number one sport in the world. It's because it is, it's a reflection of life in general in a way. American football, baseball and uh, ice hockey, they are punch-ups on the, on, the, on, the, on the game. Now, I don't, we're not there. We make out like this is an ice hockey game. It's not. Club Cl- and Tyndall should have a fight. <laughs> At <laughs> half time. I get very passionate about uh, passionate about this because it really bothers me how we keep sanitising. So we go forward ten years time. Where what direction do, is it going to go? 
it's certainly not going to allow it to be a bit tougher and harder, is it? It's going to go even worse. Well, it's backfired. The, the, the new directives for booking players for time-wasting or acts that are seen to be time-wasting, the, the philosophy behind that is that the paying fans should see more football and less nonsense. Mm. But actually, paying fans want to see 11 against 11 and they and they don't they don't they don't want to see a player who you know does something that isn't hurting anybody and is you know you kick the ball away 10 yards and you might get a booking for it because you haven't got used to the new directive it's what you've done throughout your whole childhood and career and then they make a a foul a bit later on and that's a second yellow when they're off this is this is why there's so many red cards because your first yellow is nothing and then you forget mm that you're not allowed to even tackle anymore just in case it's deemed a yellow card. And that's and uh, but the whole point of bringing in the extra yellows was was for the fans and the fa- fans are the ones who are being shortchanged because you don't want to see although it brought about a fantastic match at St James's Park it that's not what football is. You shouldn't mm. be playing a, uh, against the odds of having a man down for most of the match. You you want so I, the whole philosophy behind it is flawed. This, this is supposed to be good for the fans and you, I don't think you'll find a single fan who's enjoying the new directive. I, I want the ball and play more. I want, And it's up four minutes per game. I can't stand the time waste and I can't stand the keeper taking ages with a goal kick. I can't stand They're the, never booked. The, I can't stand the keeper catching the ball and then lying on his stomach for two minutes. He's never booked for that either. Yeah, but I'm saying, but, but so therefore if you would like that, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the game moving. I still get annoyed watching corners when people are grappling with each other and throwing each other to the ground thinking, how is that not a free kick? Sorry, how is that not a penalty? Or how is it not a free kick to the defending side? Or how is it not a penalty? People have got their arms around each other. So I'm maybe in the minority in this room. I want the game to flow. I want it fast. I think the, the, the game gets better all the time in terms of its pace. It's the flair players that I want to watch. Yeah. Well, the way we're going, Martin, soon we'll be getting players, players being done for speeding. <laughs> Because they run too quick. Someone say you're over 20 miles an hour. You're getting no, they want card. them faster. We want them faster. We don't want them getting their shirts grabbed. Very quickly, like, one more thing. So one last thing. Trent could have been sent off in the goal because he grabbed Gordon's shirt, and at the last second he let him go, yeah, and he true. would have been off for that. So yeah, yeah. very get, quickly. Get Trent off. Get, what, what, did we, what did we make of uh, Mike Dean's recent interview where he? basically admitted he basically confirmed everything we've spoken about for a long time on this yeah, podcast yeah, Alison yeah. that the relationship between referees, referees and the VARs you shouldn't is have too referees close. operating the VAR and he's pro- proven proven it's right because you're not being ob- you're supposed to be objective behind a screen and you're supposed to be helping out an on-field official because he doesn't have access to all the angles he's seen it once so in theory you're there offering the objective view and Mike Dean has more or less admitted they're think they're more worried about how it looks for the on-field referee and how he'll be perceived if you keep pointing out errors he's made, which do, is why you should not have your mates do, in the do, VAR room. Do we believe Mike Dean? Because in 2022 he said I didn't see it as violent conduct. In the same interview with Simon Jordan he said I didn't see it as a foul, and then he gives the story about his mate, and I'm thinking. He has since tra- rolled back a bit on it. I'm thinking, are you trying to make it? And I should probably story? just should probably just say for anyone who doesn't know what this is, it was in reference to um, when Christian Romero pulled Cucarella's uh, hair and pulled him to the floor in in a game mm. between Spurs and Chelsea last season, and he didn't send uh, Anthony Taylor to the screen because he said he was a mate. So he's kind of he since said that it was blown that you're a mate. The six of you working on the kind of you know 
on the pitch and at Stockley Park or like a team and your mates for the day. So he's tried to roll back from it a little bit. But I think undoubtedly he did kind of lift the curtain and show us that there is too close a relationship between the, the referees on the pitch. There should be no relationship and Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I've okay. Been, I was going to say, I've entirely got a huge ban for gambling, okay, on games. And, you know, you could make a small argument, although I don't agree with it, that, you know, is there an element of someone saying to you, well, that's sort of max fiction in some sort of way. Now, that's an extreme view. Yeah? That's an extreme view. But you influence the outcome of a game. If you're prepared to do that, and, you know, you're not protecting your mate, that's nonsense. Because... Two years later, or when was the game? Was it two a year a year Last ago? Last season. Okay, so a year later, you end up then telling everyone that you knew it was a foul when you retired. Yeah, when you retired, and you're helping your mate out. That's fine, your mate under the bus, in my opinion. <laughs> so he didn't want to stitch his mate up, and he has spectacular. <laughs> yeah. so well done, thanks, mate. <laughs> okay, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed, and you can get all our great content on the Times website. Just go to thetimes.co.uk/forward/slash/the-game for the latest subscription offer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I think you would probably have to have been hiding under a rock to have missed the story developing in Spain involving Luis Rubiales. The Spanish Football Federation president kissed the Spain forward Jenny Hermoso on the lips on the podium during Spain's Women's World Cup win over a week ago. Hermoso has since said the kiss wasn't consensual. He's now been suspended by FIFA. Um, I think the Spanish government are now trying to find a way to to get him dismissed. This is a continually, continuously developing story. Um, but Alison, the story and Ruby Alice's reaction, including that extraordinary press conference on Friday when he repeatedly kind of shouted that he, he would not resign. It's unleashed a, a bit of a tsunami of, of feeling in Spain and Europe and across the world um, about um, how women are treated in, in football and, and in wider society. It's been pretty remarkable, hasn't it? It's like an episode of The Handmaid's Tale, to be honest. A dystopia where women are viewed as an underclass and should do what men say. And if a man wants to kiss you, smack on the lips in public, he should be allowed to do it. It's... I'm not actually a big fan of people losing their jobs for errors of judgment. And I think he could have kept his job if he'd said, oh, I, I was completely out of order. I was just so, so pleased we'd won. I forgot myself and I unreservedly apologise. And I think he'd have been fine. But instead, for some absolutely bizarre reason, he's got a wealth of support behind him uh, within the Spanish FA. And he decided he would... Did you see this? He They broke down the act of the kiss to prove that the player, Hermoso, had actually instigated it. At, that's what makes it like a dystopia. That is unbelievable and must be incredibly upsetting for her to 
not only have suffered the embarrassment and initially she didn't go over the top about it she she just said i'd rather it hadn't happened you know she didn't she didn't go, didn't go crazy but now now to be for for this her bosses if you like to be telling the world she she demanded the kiss instigated the kiss and forced the kiss is is beyond embarrassing it's it's really quite hurtful and you have to worry about what this it's just very strange that it's happening within the the team that won the world cup so first of all i have huge admiration for the the women that managed to put everything that had gone on behind the scenes for them to win it they 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 require extra plaudits for that but it's not this isn't a one off act is it it's symptomatic of an fa in a country where they are they don't seem to respect women or treat them as equal sports people at all the the manager was um seen as controlling and slightly peculiar but he had the backing of the spanish fa players resigned from the team some came back some were dropped to 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 get to win it with that backdrop but it proves that that they've been fighting against the system throughout and then it's been crystallized by this single moment and one man's inability to see that it's entirely inappropriate behavior and to then flip it and try and I don't know some people have called it gaslighting I mean it's just appalling behavior and if it, the, the, that press conference where he'd been teared up as he's going to resign and at the moment you think, oh, well, eventually the right thing's going to happen. It's like a Hitler blooming rally. I will not resign. I will not resign. And then everyone's cheering in the audience because they're well, all male. Men. They're all male they're and they're all male and they're all mates. They've all helped each other out when there have been complaints. They've all backed each other. Uh, it's appalling and backward. And I feel it's slightly surreal that we are talking about it now. This This sounds like something that would have happened in the 70s. I can't quite believe it. It is happening. And they won the World Cup. Bless them. And no one's talking about that. They're talking about how dysfunctional Spanish society is and the Spanish FA are. So, uh, like I say, I don't think the act of the kiss in itself is the most appalling thing to have happened. But the the way it's been handled is atrocious. As, as Ali said, the, the, you get the detail of this. So she's just won the World Cup and they're on the aeroplane heading home. And aeroplanes are quite tight for space. And it's at that point that she revealed she was put under pressure and she was sat with her family. So she's celebrating when the World Cup, at which point she gets pressure from the Spanish FA to release a statement. See, at that moment, I guess what, they're leaning over her, that these blokes are saying, do this, do this. In a statement, she says, I felt vulnerable. I was not res- um, respected. I was asked to make a joint statement to alleviate the pressure on the president. There was continuous pressure. So once this starts, that's the joy of the World Cup, I think, gone. Because you're sitting with your family and you should be like, this is the greatest period ever. So there's so many elements of it that are appalling and, and why it's just a, such a huge story and you would like it to be a watershed moment that these miserable middle-aged blokes who govern football <laughs> get moved on. But then you see Donald Trump on the front of most newspapers celebrating a mugshot and you think, no, we're not going to get to that point. But this may bring about some, some element of change in the governance of football for what she's had to go to, through, and as you've said, Ali, it, it must have completely spoiled this World Cup victory. Nobody's talking about how technically brilliant the Spanish were, how much how much ahead they were of the English players, instead of which, the, the, in this seediness of um, the Spanish FA and people that 
as you said, it just got worse and worse and worse. And you're like, what have they done now? What have they done now? And it was four pitches, I think, that got to try and prove that it was her fault. And then eight, yeah, she lifted him off the floor. Yeah, right? so there was some yeah. Running. And then at eight twenty-four on Friday, yeah. And eight eight twenty-four on Friday night, she then says, "I'm on strike from Spain," and all the Spain players say, "Yeah, we're on strike too." And you think mm. they won the World Cup a week ago? Imagine if that was a man's team. Within six days of winning the World Cup, they all go on strike. So yes, in- incredible. Yeah, it's you know I tried to think it from a different way, as in taking layers off of the actual incident and thinking, sort of thinking myself. Who who do I kiss on the lips in my life? So it's obviously my wife. As I've got older, my mum has become more affectionate. She will give me an odd peck on the lips. Um, that's it. That's it. In any other shape or form, I'm not. I, and I started to think about Al. I started to think about Alison before knowing she was coming today. I've gone. We've done interviews together. Yeah, we've done interviews. Gone to Sheffield United. We've gone to view tele, uh, interview Teddy Sheridan. We've gone to Exeter. Stay over in Exeter, and I was kept thinking, if Alison won the ultimate prize in 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 you know uh, as a as a writer, which I have, yeah, which you have, <laughs> yeah, and I see you and I'm delighted for you. Would I kiss you on the lips? No, <laughs> I wouldn't because I know that's a line that. It's an uncomfortable line for a president. I mean, look, we had the FAI in Ireland and they did quite a bit wrong for a number of years. And they were, you know, and it wasn't the men or women that do that. They were just a lot of controversy was surrounding them. And I always think back of they are they sort of had their own seating on the plane. They're not really with the players. They most of them, we spent all our international football. We would be in second class going to play the game and the first class would be full of all the uh, representatives of the FAI. So it was always sort of them and us. And I would imagine it probably would be the same with the Spanish as well. But I don't know how he gets to thinking, even with the, you know, the delight and the enthusiasm and incredible moment of winning World Cup, you still put a smacker on a player. I don't I don't get that. Well, what's interesting, you you kind of look for examples in your life of who you kiss on the lips. And I when you see him celebrating the goal by grabbing his groin, I then thought (laughs) Oh well, Thank- that's even. Yeah. I then went rattled my brain. I thought, Thankfully, I don't know anybody. None of my friends grabbed their groin. That's a relief. So the only two people I could think of that I was aware of, one was Lord Flashheart in Blackadder, <laughs> and the other one was Michael Jackson in the Thriller video. Yeah. And I'm like, they're from the 1980s. Come on, and they were largely taking the, you know, taking the you know. So for for him to still be doing that in the crowd at a major event, you think yeah, you're 40 years out of time. Yeah. So, Jonathan Northcroft's written a really fascinating piece this weekend in Sunday Times, which was headlined, Football's Nasty Truth, It's Badly Failing Women. And in it he discusses some of the, the, the missteps we've seen recently with Ruby Alice, with Manchester United's handling of Mason Greenwood, um, and also a kind of fairly lengthy list of footballers who have you know, either mistreated or abused women, allegedly or otherwise, um, going back a, a number of years. Um... So the, the the fundamental question that he's trying to uh, answer in this piece is whether football as an industry and footballers' attitudes, whether footballers' attitudes towards women is a is an issue, or whether it kind of is mirroring wider society. Alison, what do you think? I, I think I, I think I don't think football does mirror wider society. Exactly. I think it's a special case because you get a lot of young men who are suddenly famous and have money 
and not necessarily very well educated. They've put all their eggs in the football basket. They've neglected their education and they have their way of celebrating that status is to have parties and invite people to the parties and they treat women as commodities. <clears throat> so even the various uh, cases of um, where players have been accused of rape and been cleared, they've not been cleared of their lifestyle choices. And a lot of the women involved are young, they're teenage girls. And you think, well, the girls go along because they're very excited probably to be in the company of someone so famous or rich and it's seductive in itself and then they find themselves caught up in a a party atmosphere that might not be exactly what they thought they were getting into but they go along with it and afterwards they feel pretty disgusted with themselves and maybe bring a complaint and then maybe they're told well don't worry you'll get a payoff it'll be fine the whole culture of that that isn't society because most young men aren't in that privileged position and it does mean that clubs are neglecting their well they're neglecting their position really they have academy everyone has academies now and they're supposed to hold classes and teach their young players about you know be careful what you say on social media and be careful about entrapment and be careful about sleeping with girls who are underage who wearing a lot of makeup and might be overage how about telling them to treat women with respect especially young girls you know it's 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 appalling that this is par for the course that you have these parties that lots of players go to and um you know shagging around all night multiple partners seems to be acceptable and i know that's not illegal but it is breeding a culture of complete lack of respect which can verge towards sexual assault or rape and blur the lines of that because there'll be so much alcohol and so on and just abuse of power or differential in age and so on i just so i i i'm loath to say it exactly reflects society because i think that is a specific cauldron of 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 toxic um stuff going on that you don't get necessarily exactly reflected mm. You know, what we're talking about here as well, and I noticed this in my football career, that there was an element of people, and we said, Alison used the word privileged position. That privilege comes with an element of feeling bulletproof. And bulletproof is where they think they are, and they're not. So they take advantage with that feeling of thinking, well, I can do it, and get away with this. You know, even to the music that players listen to, you know, some of the stuff they listen to is like, I've even talked to my boys. I've got five boys. Alison's got two boys, haven't you, Al? And I talked to my boys about some of the stuff that's being said and, you know, in their music, the songs. And it's, you, you know, you've got to get in your head that it's a very dangerous place to go. And I remember thinking that as a player because there was loads of party years ago. You know, you go to Republic of Ireland where, you know, this thing, you you had to. You had to be very careful. Uh, and by your behaviour, I don't speaking about who you meet, it's actually about your behaviour as well. You're, you're always one bad step away from a lot of trouble, but there is that bulletproof feeling sometimes with players, and I think that's what they, they can't seem to understand. You're not bulletproof. Okay. Should we get back to the football? <laughs> um, I'm quite depressed now. Yeah. <laughs> I think they might feel that way at the Emirates as well after... Uh, after Fulham's late, late equaliser, um, another another game with late drama. 
Uh, Arsenal gifted Fulham the lead with probably a contender for the strangest goal of the season, would we say? Bakayo Saka passing the ball straight to Pereira, uh, Andreas Pereira. And then I think he tried to lob Aaron Ramsdale, who tried to predict that he was going to lob him. <laughs> and, then, and he just somehow whipped it into the near near post. Bizarre goal, Martin. Yeah, I, I watched Aaron Ramsdale for a season when I'm Sheffield United and when they got relegated, and I didn't think he was very good. So I would go home to my son, who's now 17, and say Aaron Ramsdale's rubbish. Although I'm usually quite gentle with opinions. And then last season, whenever Aaron Ramsdale had a good game, it was like, Aaron Ramsdale's had another good game, Dad. I was like, yeah, yeah I've spotted it, I've spotted it. But I always always had that nag, nagging doubt. But it means that if I do see a mistake from him, I jump on it. I thought that was a mistake for the first goal. I wonder if Arsenal are serious about winning the title, whether having England's third best goalkeeper and probably what the sixth best goalkeeper in the league is going to be good enough to get you there. <clears throat> They're letting 10 more goals than Man City and Newcastle last season. Rea's there now, and I think he'd be putting pressure on him. Um, I have a theory in my head, which I didn't haven't tested out, that the team that wins the title has generally got the one of the two best goalkeepers in the division. I think you could probably go back historically yeah. and find that. I don't think he's top notch um, to win if you're talking about winning the Premier League title. And I thought that was a bad mistake. And same with Nottingham Forest. If if the unfancy team gets a foothold in the game, it changes the game completely. And from then, Fulham have got their tails up, and that gives them maybe the belief to come back at the end to, to grab a point in that two-two. Um, so. It's 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 an error from Arsenal not to beat a Fulham side that's without Mitrovic, and seem feels like it's got lost a little bit of its momentum from last season. Uh, you know they they they've changed personnel. Still not sure whether I would like to see Declan Rice play as a sitting midfielder for Arsenal, but Pep seems to have completely changed where that play has to be now because with Party coming in from the right back position to sit, and therefore Declan Rice goes further on, it's probably complicated what he does. Um, just it's just can they kick on from last season at the minute I'm not quite sure Mikel Arteta's clearly trying to evolve this team in the way that they play but it's not quite clicking yet is it Tony? No and I was really surprised that Trossard was played in the forward, centre forward position and Nketiah would have stuck in all day long um, I know again in hindsight that's easy but I, I thought that was a strange one He's looked very sharp, even in, in the game at Crystal Palace where he wins a penalty and just basically looked like he was Anderson's a good centre half Gaye as well, uh, Crystal Palace, had two good centre-halves. He was giving them a tough time, Eddie, in the way he was playing, just by his movement. Um, and I thought a little bit um, a little bit tricky there. Um, I just want to make one point because Martin Maida talked about Ramsdale. Chrissy Wilder had Ramsdale at Sheffield United, and I saw a lot of the early games. He had Dean Anderson the, the season before, and Dean Anderson played a big part in Sheffield United. And I asked him about um, Ramsdale, and he said, He's a good goalkeeper. He said, unfortunately for us, he didn't make a big save early. You know, like a striker needs a goal. The first game was against Wolves at Bramall Lane for his debut. And two goals just looped in over his hands. Yeah. We both looked and thought, well, the journalists thought, he should have saved that. And Henderson, as he said the day before, being brilliant. And I never th- didn't think he ever recovered from that. No. There was just, I, I think Leno's yeah. a better keeper. I thought it's one of the mistakes I would have said that uh, I felt Arteta made is that I felt that Leno at Fulham who was obviously Arsenal at one time, was a better keeper. Obviously, the manager felt different. Uh, but there have been... It was a very strange performance in the end because, you know... They looked like they'd rallied again and they were good at... They'd yeah. a lot of comebacks last season and they did it again. Saka scored uh, the equaliser 20 minutes to go. Two minutes later, Enketia looked like he's got the winner. And then... Oh, I would have my... Even when Fulham got... Went reduced to, reduced Rail, to 10. Rail being goal next game. 
I think that decision was made. I think it was initially he didn't want to upset Ramsdale and gave him the chance of playing. But I don't think it's going to take a lot for him to be left out of the team. Do you think, Alison, when Zinchenko came on and they sort of reverted back to something more recognisable from last season where Zinchenko steps into midfield and plays as a, a kind of older midfielder slash inverted left back, they, were, they looked much better. But Arteta's trying to do something different this year. He's trying to he's trying to move in party from the right. He's he's trying to work different combinations in midfield. It's just not really working yet, is it? Well, he's completely flipped it. He now he now wants to start start off an attack on the wing and then move centrally. Whereas last season he'd start an attack through the middle, then move wide. That's quite a flip of your brain if you're a team. And also, I don't. Maybe someone here can explain what it is. Is it purely tactical because of this new new way of building an attack that he's ditching Gabriel? I don't understand. I, did I imagine that he was one of their best players last season? I felt that if they were going to win the title, he he should win player of the season, possibly. Because, Gabriel has yeah, yeah. Well, I think initially... No, 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 the oh, defender. The oh, defender. Oh, so Gabriel, oh, sorry, yes, yes. the centre. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I, think... I don't see why he's been moved out and I know there's speculation that he wants to go to Saudi but then that seems to be the excuse for anybody who's overlooked at all now there's because yeah. I'm pretty sure Saudi's asked everybody if they'll go but <laughs> it's I don't even if I mean has he fallen out with him because of that or of something else but it just seems well really really strange how you how how he how Arteta has responded to coming so close but failing to get the title, instead of looking at all the positives from that season and thinking, all I have to do is just tweak it, buy in a bit of extra quality, do the same but a bit better. He seems to have thrown out a lot of what was admirable about it. Gabriel was one of them. And I don't, I don't know why yeah. he's not there. Well. Without, without being contradictory on what I've just said there, Pep's, Pep's leads leads the way. So when they played New, Manchester City played Newcastle last week, when they had the ball, it was two three four one, and Newcastle couldn't lay a glove on them. And the midfield of Tenali, Bruno Gomez, and Julian were hugely ineffectual. Um, this, the, you watched Gordon's performance yesterday; it was nothing like it was in Manchester City. Newcastle had did a one shot on target in the entire game. So I went back and checked um, when Man City played Liverpool at the end of last season. They beat them four one. Liverpool had I think two shots on target in the whole game. And when Manchester City played Arsenal, Man City won four one. Mm. And I think there was one shot on goal on target from Arsenal. The the similarity from watching three games was that they snuffed the entire life out of these teams that, that pride themselves on their intensity. Newcastle have it written in the training ground: intensity is our identity. So when Pep's teams now move forward, everybody's moving into a different position. It became very much two, three, four, one, and Newcastle was suffocated. So all that intensity and identity that they had was negated completely. Now Arteta, when you read about him, is it's like he is a, a junior Pep, yeah. and he may be thinking he's figured a way to stop us being intense. I need to find a different way, otherwise we can't get near him. And I would be inclined to agree with him from the early weeks of the season. I think Manchester City are way ahead of Arsenal, Liverpool, and Newcastle. Perhaps Arteta is doing some very clever, but there will be a period where his players have to learn how to play this way. It's like it looks too studious. Yes, it's like they yes, look like I a agree. bunch of school kids who've been set a geometry lesson and asked to solve it through the medium of football or something. But, <laughs> it's, but, like, but yeah. it's about isn't the sport about evolution, and it's 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 too bigger, and also the, the introduction of Kai Havertz 
I mean, he was struggling at Chelsea to be who he mm. can be. But not only has he moved clubs, he's got a manager who wants him to be something that he isn't as well as that. It's That's, that's too big a leap, I think, for him yeah. to be playing that deep with that level of responsibility when that isn't really who he is. So Manchester City took advantage of... Uh of the slip up um, at Bramall Lane, although it looked like they might not um, when Sheffield United equalised through Jaden Bogle. Um, and it was looked like it was going to be a difficult day for Erling Haaland, but he, uh, <laughs> and he looked very relieved to get, to get the goal when he did. Well, and, and City obviously scored late um, to get the winner. So it was a, when it, Sheffield United could be, can be, can be buoyed by this, I think, because they, should, they put on a good defensive display, but they were they still owed a lot to the sort of misfiring of rare misfiring of Erling Haaland. Well, he looked Erling Haaland looked really peeved for quite a number of the <laughs> certainly opening period where he wasn't enjoying the game because City were just relentlessly keeping the ball. Now, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking Sheffield United's tactics, and it was basically not really to get anywhere in dangerous positions. Okay, and I understand that to a degree because it's Manchester City, but I looked at two games. Like there was only two games in the Premier League that Man City, uh, the team playing them, didn't score. See, see what I mean? So if you're playing Man City, Man City scored in every game except for Tottenham away and Brentford away. That was the only two games they hadn't scored in. So if your tactic is really where we're not going to attempt at all to score, you cannot win this game. Okay. Because they are going to take, the numbers tell you, they've only not scored, sorry, in the game at Tottenham and the game at Brentford in the whole of last season in the Premier League. They are going to score. And it's going to take either a goalkeeper miracle or they're going to miss a lot of chances to not, you know, to not get the lead. So I thought it was a strange tactic. Now, when they came away from that, once they went 1-0 down, Ollie McBurney comes on, a slightly different tactics, a few more longer throws. It's not the prettiest, but then they sort of, then they got the equaliser. And yes, they were punished, but I felt I'd rather Sheffield United attempted to do something along that lines. Maybe the manager's gone, Heckingbottom's gone, do you know what? If we can keep in this game for an hour, yeah. we, we, we might be able to do something towards the end of the game. But the facts are that that team you're playing against has scored in 36 of the 38 games. So they're going to score. But the development of the player by the good coaches is interesting. So John Stones has evolved hugely under Pep. To the point now, we can play as a right back, like and step in the midfield. This kind of new position that we didn't really exist new position before. Perhaps that's what Arteta is trying with Havertz. The game between Sheffield United and Man City is uh, is won by a bit of brilliance from um, Jack Grealish. Yeah. And Jack Grealish in year one under Pep struggles because it's instead of having the whole pitch to do whatever he wants on, he's got this tiny little corner on the left hand side, and he says I didn't quite get it at first. Pep keeps faith with them. And then those closing was the 88th minute. In those closing moments of the game, he beats his fullback, puts a beautiful cross mm. on Haaland's head. So the, the, these great coaches now, and I think there's, I think that's an expectation now on coaches to make players better. A lot of teams are buying players who are 22, 23, 24. How's brought players on? Pep has. So perhaps mm. we have to give Arteta a little bit of patience here just to see what he can yeah. do with the players. But the, the development of Grealish now into a match winner is. At Man City is, is a big change from where he was a year and a half You'll ago. You'll always get that with City, though. You'll always get someone producing a moment of magic. It might be Gundogan, it might be De Bruyne, it might be Grealish, it might be Foden. The team is, the team is built. He yeah. did well to kind of after, you know, <laughs> after gifting the goal to, well, it's not a coincidence. to drive his team forward again. Well, it's not a coincidence, Gregor, that someone steps up. Because yeah. that's what basically happens every week. Yeah. You know, Rodri's goal. Yeah. You know, 
Rodri's a holding midfielder, but he's he can produce a moment of brilliance. We've spoken quite a lot about West Ham and Spurs over the last few weeks, so we'll, rather than focusing on them, we'll focus on two stars, two of probably the, the biggest no-brainer signings of the summer in, in uh, James Ward-Prowse, who you wrote about not long ago, Alison, and James Madison, who... I, was I at, also wrote about not so You did, and I was, I was at this game, and he was the best player on the pitch by a country mile. It just it just seems mind-boggling. And Martin, maybe you can speak about this too as Newcastle correspondent, given that Madison was linked, and WordPress possibly could have been too, that for 30-odd million and 40, 40-odd million, there weren't more suitors for these two players. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. But they but they they fit so well. I mean, that, that I mean... We've been talking about the nonsense of football and the disappointments of football, and we've been questioning managers' tactical nous and decisions made. But actually, here, what you've got is football working properly because I think James Madison feels he was destined for Spurs. He's a traditional Spurs type player. He's someone who admired and actually said to me, I modelled my game on Christian Eriksen when Christian Eriksen was the heartbeat of Spurs. And he's slotted into that role. He's brought back to Spurs that that sense of just making the team tick and knowing the, the, the right pass to make and bringing flair to the team. That feels like a destiny signing. And he wanted to go when they wanted him. So bravo football for getting that right. And James Ward-Prowse, you've got a manager, David Moyes, who didn't listen to his director of football and said, no, I want him, I want James Ward-Prowse, I want James Ward-Prowse, because... We are very good at set pieces, but we need someone who can deliver them. And that's what they've got. They've got someone who takes the finest corner, the finest free kick in the Premier League. on a consi- Basically, on a consistent level, he never puts a foot wrong with a set piece, James Ward-Prowse. And he, he's undervalued as someone who interlinks in the, the outfield play as well. Absolutely perfect West Ham player. And he, he said in his most recent interview, James Ward-Prowse, just how beautifully it's all settled in for him. They've made him feel welcome. He feels useful. It's perfect. And that that's there are two examples of managers insisting the players knowing it, the the people around the players knowing it, not not waiting for some bigger fee for Saudi money or something that isn't suitable, or going to Manchester City and sitting on the bench for a season. They've said, No, this is this is your moment, you fit this club, everyone's done the right thing and they will shine all year, I'm sure. Couldn't agree more to to Absolute great fits for both clubs with regards to Newcastle. Dead keen on Madison last summer, couldn't agree a fee. Keen on him again in January, couldn't agree a fee. Um, the interest cooled a bit this summer in part because Eddie Howe has admitted that he f- fell in love with watching Tonali. And Newcastle do have a ceiling on their spending because of the financial fair play. So that kind of moved him away from, from Madison. Ward-Prowse, I think, is a phenomenal signing for £30 million. The only thing I would, and again, Newcastle liked him. The only reason I would say, and this is my my opinion, is that they have Kieran Trippier, who I think delivered eighty four goal and scoring mm, opportunities from uh, from set plays, and Ward Prowse was second with forty odds. So you'd go if you buy Ward Prowse, it's like, what are you going to do? Yeah. He's going to take the free kick. So yeah. it, I think it was a case of well, we have somebody who can do a lot of that, and we want a different kind of midfielder. But two great players. See, really I would player. I would add on onto that the three best um, free kick takers I ever played with. Um, and Wal Prowse's reason I'm going to mention him is because I think one of them he's very like is that Kevin Sheedy at Everton was unbelievable at dead balls. Dennis Owen at Man United, Dennis was likewise unbelievable right or left foot. Um, and then there was David Beckham, 
And I think Ward Prowse's free kick taking is as good as David Beckham's. And that's a very high bar because, you know, you look at his numbers last year and the year before, they're pretty exceptional. And yes, there's penalties included on that. And as Alison alluded to, you know, if you want set pieces and you know your side are exceptionally good, they're going to score goals. And he will chip in as well. He's not just a free kick taker. He, he can score from, you know, like he did in open play as well. Oh, he works hard. He reads the yeah. game really well. He's, 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 he's a, a great buy. He's a great well. buy. Yeah. Just on Madison, I mean, did anybody see the... <laughs> the little moment on yeah. social media where he dragged the ball out of the... He was, He's getting grief, he was getting he a lot of grief from the Bournemouth fans for, in the opening stages. One, yeah. of, one, one song about Gary Southgate thinking he wasn't very good. Uh, and, be, and being correct in that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so he, he, in the corner flag, he dragged the ball out of the quadrant and they were all howling abuse and then he just looked up at them and said, yeah diving <laughs> and rolled it back so he's uh he brings fun as well Spurs there's there's you know we've spoken about this there's Spurs feel a lot more enjoyable to watch and I think he's been a big a big reason for that Gregor can we give him a compliment uh, about going to Spurs when Harry Kane's leaving he would have known Harry Kane was leaving the football club mm. when he joined so he's prepared to go to a club that sold their biggest star. Take his Give number. Him credit. Take and his number. Take the pressure yeah. as well. I think he he loves it as well. He loves yeah. the pressure. He loves I've, to be centre of attention. Take the penalties. I don't know. Son, son. I think son. Son, son. Take the first yeah. one. No, um, it's it's funny how quickly perceptions change. You lose Kane. Kane's been brilliant for X amount of years. Blah blah blah. Then you go Son, Madison. Can you get some out of Richarlison at some point? The player that he can be for Brazil. Kulisevsky's going well and they've got a pot of money in the bank quite a progressive manager can they take you know a bit of half decent start of the season and build on it and suddenly turn around the thought of this club from last year being weak and um, on the way down maybe he's with another maybe he's another sign on a two and Madison plays a huge part in that they, they can have a little bit more optimism than maybe they've had for a season or two Can we not mention just briefly because that struck me this weekend of Tottenham changing their goalkeeper and three of their back four in the last, you know, since the end of last season, really. You know, that's what Newcastle did. Newcastle changed basically their goalkeeper, three of their back four, very, very in a very short space of time. They've done that, and that's been a standout feature for me as well. That you know, not that's a hard gig to do. Centre half, left back, right back, goalkeeper, in a very short space of time. They give up some chances. <laughs> That's yeah, they not because they can't defend. No. It's because of the way they play. The My way God. they play. Yeah, I was going to say. It's good to watch yeah. though. But you know, it's still a big gig to do that. Yeah. You were looking forward to going, Gregor. Did did they disappoint you, or was it no? They were perfunctionary. First, first half, they were there were spells where they were brilliant because Bournemouth have such a high press and they're so intense and obviously Iriola is like clearly so committed to that that style of play. And the first three or four minutes, it looked like you know both teams recognised what each other were and they were going to play the way they played anyway regardless. So Spurs managed to give Philip Billing a chance in the opening few minutes and create two chances of their own by playing, trying to play through their press. Mm-hmm. And you thought this is going to be a great game. And it was for the first half and then um, second half, I think they kind of ran out of steam a little bit. But it was uh, Spurs are going to be exciting to watch, no doubt, this season. Finally, after um, you were at this game, I think, Alison, after Joachim Anderson equalised for Crystal Palace with what can only be described as a slight tackle through the legs of Brentford's goalkeeper, Mark Flecken. Cass, you've written about um, the scrappiest goal you've ever scored 
And we wondered if we could think of the scrappiest goals the that we've ever seen here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scrappiest. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Go on, tell us about it. Yeah, plan for Aston Villa. And I'd got a reminder of it. Oh, I've had it a few times where people have just sort of is this one of the worst Premier League goals in history? And I, and I look at it. Well, no, actually, I was quite delighted at the time, but it was against Derby. And it's literally a melee. And obviously, you can see it on Times Online um, where... Basically, every and the pitch isn't good as well. Is you know, it's a typical pitch of weather. It's all dug up all over the place in the eighteen yard box. And I'm just standing out on the right, and there's this big melee kicking going everywhere. Me, and it suddenly gets rolled to me, and I tap it in. But it, you have to see it because it's funny. Like because I because it was me, and I think that's the only thing I've ever won. The scrappiest, <laughs> <laughs> scruffiest. Uh, yeah, yeah, scruffiest. But apparently, scruffiest. you peeled away celebrating like you'd won the World Cup. I'm told. Well, I, I let's put it this way: it was. Uh, I loved it at Villa. I really enjoyed it. I was really sad to leave after what best part of 15 months. And uh, uh, but I, I really enjoyed my period at that club. It was a great football club. That's a hilarious goal, and uh, yeah. you can see that on the Times website along with Tony's column and lots of great content. Tony, Alison, Martin, thanks for joining me. Make sure you're subscribed, and we'll be back on Thursday. Mm-hmm.